Hi, and welcome to the show. It's Thursday, so that means another episode of the podcast. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes, and every single Thursday we have an episode of this podcast, and the goal is very simple. It's to help you to start to grow and to scale your training business, irrespective of where you are on that journey. Now, very often people write to me saying they're thinking about starting a training business, and this show is giving them clarity as well as advice on how to proceed. So every Thursday we have an episode either where it's you and I, just you and I, talking about uh, a subject to do with things like marketing or coaching or, or training needs analysis or sales. These are just random topics popping into my mind. Or we have a guest on the show who tells us all about their story, their business, how they're making money and finding clients and sharing with you the kinds of things that will help you to do just that. So with that in mind, Welcome to episode 41, and thanks for stopping by. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Guys, thanks again for your time this week. As I said before the music, this is episode 41 of the podcast. And today we're talking to someone called Andrew Silito, who is based in the UK. Andrew has a very successful training business and coaching business, and they are distinct operations. One is his personal brand, andrewsilito.com, and I'll give you links, of course, in the show notes to today's episode. And that business focuses on dealing with people at a coaching level, clients maybe who are managers or CEOs, senior people, business owners, etc. And then his business, Strategic Team Coach, or STC, which is about to be rebranded, and Andrew will explain why, is a business which focuses on niche areas helping teams in organizations in different parts of the world. And Andrew's journey is actually quite exciting and very many ways quite similar to mine in the sense that uh, he came to training the training business through a particular circuitous route and realized that it's the kind of thing that's for him because it resonates with his values, helping people to develop and to be the best kind of person that they can be. But he's also done things like written a book and a lot of the client work he has is direct with quite serious big names in the what we call FTSE 100 or uh, Financial Times Stock Exchange Index. In other words, it's an indices or an index of uh, large corporations often called blue chips in this part of the world. Andrew's business has taken him to places like the States, to Hong Kong and Singapore. And I met Andrew most recently at the Mid-Year Mastermind of a mentor or someone whom we both, we mutually admire, someone called Chris Ducker, who will be a guest on the podcast in the near future. And Andrew explained to me today, and I won't uh, give you the whole episode because that would spoil it, but uh, Andrew walked me through the journey he's been on, the kinds of things and mistakes he's learned around uh, on the way, and of course, the lessons which he's learned to help him to develop the kind of training business brand, which is really, really achieving some fantastic results right now. So without further ado, let's go over to Andrew and hear what he has to say. Andrew, hi, and welcome to the show. Hello, Mark. Thanks for having me. We met at uh, Chris Ducker's Mid-Year Mastermind in London a couple of months ago. Um, That's one of Chris's events, and uh, he's obviously someone you admire as I do. How have things been going since we last met? Uh, going well, actually, and I think the you know surrounding yourself with with good people who are you know different businesses, but trying to get their heads around the marketing, winning new clients, starting businesses. Uh, I found that very useful, and it was very challenging, actually. You know, I when I turned up, I you know got a brand, but you know people around that that hot desking piece where you've got half an hour, people asking you questions about your business, your business model. You think actually it's not all quite there, so it's a bit of work to do. So. So I've been working on that since since the event, which has been been very very useful. So in other words, the the part you're talking about is where we all had to literally in a hot seat for thirty minutes speak about our business and how things are going, and then kind of open ourselves up to the comments of other people at the same table. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that was um, I realised that perhaps I wasn't I didn't have as many things in place as I thought I did. Kind of kind of daunting, isn't it, when you have to describe you know what you do and why you do it to a stranger? Yeah, and you get people looking at you with a bit of a frown. And you kind of go, you're not quite getting what I do. I need to work on that. 
<laughs> so uh, for people who don't know what you do, you run both your own management training consultancy brand, which is the, the STC or the strategic team coach. And also in parallel, your own speaker or, you know, life coach brand, which is andrewsilito.com. What's the difference between the two? Because these are both on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, so I started the strategic team coach, uh, which is going through a little bit of a rebrand at the moment as I'm becoming the team head coach, um, based on my experience of working with uh, elite sports teams, working as a, as a consultant, going into organizations, my sales management background. So essentially, the strategic team coach is a, a management training company uh, with a, a, a USP um, around the work, uh, around sports parallels and so on. So there's hence uh, the, the shift towards team head coach. So we talk about how to create locker room spirit, um, coaching skills, uh, how to mentor people away from the game, how to drive performance in the game uh, on the sales floor. So typically our, our clients are um, result-driven sales organizations that are looking to improve performance on their sales floor. And we work with the team leaders and the managers and the sales managers, et cetera. Um, and I started that in, in 2012, uh, and, and it kind of just built and built and built. In fact, initially I was, um, taking advantage of some of just my contacts that I had, uh, some, and so working with like Pfizer and Ericsson and, uh, Virgin and AXA PPP and going into these bigger organizations doing team coaching. And that's the, that's the reason why the name Strategic Team Coach came about, because I was going in as the Strategic Team Coach, you know, very sort of saying what it does on the tin, which is a, a good, a good um, way to market yourselves in some cases. Um, and that worked out quite well. And then I just bit by step by step, I had more SMEs coming to me and doing work with some smaller companies. And I actually really started to enjoy that, uh, working with some smaller companies, anything between you know, five people and 300, really. Um, and working with their team leaders, and they were even putting team leaders in our open course, or we were going into the into the business and running um, leadership programs, and that's built and built and built and refined itself. And I think anyone that's you know any trainers out there, you're always tinkering with your with your IP, and um, I'm sure that people relate to that, and and just kind of trying to improve it, getting feedback, what they like, what they don't like, what to you know spend more time on, what to take out. Uh, so it's got to a point now where it's it's a very refined product you know a mix of webinars and face-to-face training and and so on um that uh, we're kind of in the phase now of thinking right how do we scale this you know so putting, putting stuff online um building our team and so on so that's that's where that that's worked and actually niching as well i, I niched um heavily into recruitment the recruitment sector it was just an opportunity that kind of just built and built uh, so recruitment companies who were looking to develop their leadership and scale their business. Um, so that was a niche. Another thing that, that, that I learned probably two years later than I probably could have done, which was was to just go go a mile deep rather than a mile wide. Mm, okay. So that's um, Strategic Team Coach. And then what about the, the your personal brand, the life coach brand, andrewsilito.com? It, it, that's an interesting one because, you know, the, that that is really caught people's attention as far as the method methodology i talk about the four keys as my kind of coaching proposition uh, so do a lot more one-to-one coaching and i guess really it's from a strategic perspective just putting my business hat on for a, for a moment the, the the team coaching the team head coach stuff that we do is our, our main audience are our new new managers you know 25 to 35 year olds who are sort of navigating that that first line management role. And they might even be player coaches. We call them player coaches where they are managing a team, but they've also got a sales target as well. Um, whereas my coaching with the four keys is is more aimed at business owners and business leaders, more senior business leaders, business owners who are found themselves in a in a role with big responsibilities and and trying to navigate the the other facets of their life. So typically being a parent or having you know having a partner um looking after their health their physical health their mindset so that's what i refer to as the four keys business body relationships and mindset and so it's a different demographic really so typically those clients are more around 35 to 55 and, or upwards um but that seems to be our core core avatar um so one of the things i've I certainly learned as a as a consultant um as much as I, you know, I love doing the work. I love coaching. I love going to the room and working with with groups. Is is also having that commercial hat on, you know, and that marketing hat on that we we have to have as as 
as trainers, which is who, who really is my audience and how do I connect with them the best possible way. So, so by having the two businesses it allowed me to segment. Um, and actually, they, they also work hand in hand because if I engage with a, a business owner, uh, they also then will have a conversation with me about developing their leaders. So then we kind of pass it back to the other business. Um, and, that, and that seems to be working quite quite well. So is that a lot of work running those two distinct brands? Uh, do people, you know, do you find yourself stretched? And you've also said the word our and we. Uh, is it just you or have you other people in your team, even VAs helping you? Yeah, VA is a virtual teams. Uh, I have a business partner for strategic team coaching and um, he is, uh, is actually, he's been off for a bit, but he's, um, his, his role is, is, is to focus on the delivery uh, in the classroom. So I do a lot of delivery, but he, he will focus more on that going forward and any of our webinars and we're developing an academy, so we've got an online academy where people can pay a subscription, like a membership site. So team leaders that want to have weekly, monthly training. Um, and then Andrew Silito brand is is a is a team of of, of virtual uh, support. You know, so whether it's branding, video, uh, putting videos out, um, managing LinkedIn, managing Facebook community. Um, and and yeah and, and investing in that and I, and my advice for anybody you know you, you, it can be lucrative this work you know it can be very lucrative and um it's i think it's important not to not to uh sort of kind of settle on that and just keep reinvesting in the business um you know get some budget and, and make sure that we're uh building the business and, and delegating work so you're not working through the night trying to deal with all this stuff. It's a much better lifestyle. So digging into your background, you, you decided to become a coach in 2007. And uh, five years later in, uh, in 2012, you qualified as an organizational psychologist. And I believe by reading or from reading your profile online that you kind of did this the hard way because you had to go to night classes to do this. And, and uh, so obviously there's some passion there. Why do you like this coaching and training and you know, developmental aspect so much? What, what does it mean to you personally? Um, I think there are a number of things, you know, I often think about this and I, and I think anybody that's in this business says this, often says the same thing, which is you don't choose this work, this work chooses you. Uh, and I, and I think it's always been part of my DNA. So even when I was, you know, I've got a sports background, I grew up playing street hockey and had an amazing kind of life doing that. And the sport evolved and, and I ended up playing Canada and so on. And I, I was actually coaching from quite a young age. I felt comfortable coaching at a young age. And uh, so I was always in front of people teaching of some sort. And then I remember I, I joined, well, I ran summer camps for hockey and, and all that good stuff. And so I always enjoyed developing people. And, uh, and then I joined uh, Yellow Pages. And I remember on day one, we had three weeks of training. And I remember sitting there watching the trainer thinking, Hmm, that's interesting. I quite like that. I uh, like the idea of, of moving into that type of role. And I even turned to the person next to me and said, you know, how do you become one of those? And uh, she said, look, just keep your head down at work for a while. And then you could maybe put your hat in the ring to be a, a trainer. Um, but actually, I ended up having a successful sales career at Yellow Pages and then moved into management roles and um, was on the kind of the other side of it and, and getting, getting the training and, you know, going to management, learning about grow, learning all that kind of stuff. And then I, I got approached, well, actually, it was a, I got a message from um, an old school friend, a primary school friend. So was, I hadn't spoken to him in 22 years. It was Facebook, I guess, had just come out. This was, must have been around 2007. And he, uh, he messaged me and said, what are you up to? And I said, well, look, I've just, funny enough, I'm at Yellow Pages, but I've just done this hypnotherapy uh, course because I'm thinking about working with athletes and helping them, you know, there's a bit of NLP and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't an NLP course. Um, and he said, that's interesting. He said, I'm, I'm running a, a consultancy business. Uh, I'm the COO of, of a company called Blue Sky Performance Improvement, which I'd never heard of at the time because um, I wasn't in that world. He said, why don't you come and see us, uh, come and meet with us? And long and short of it was, um, you know, a couple of interviews. I ended up leaving Yellow Pages, probably taking about a 50% pay cut, you know, because I, I realized that this was my, my calling, was to work with um, teams, sales teams, leaders, and, 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 and be a trainer. Uh, and I was very lucky uh, that I got to cut my teeth at, at Blue Sky, an incredible business. It was a boutique consultancy then. It's owned by Capita now. But um, at the time, it was um, surrounded by brilliant people. And they just trusted everybody. So, I mean, I'd never designed anything. I'd never really run any training sessions. And my first job was um, a, a quick tour of Turkey and Greece. And 
I had to design it, you know, and they kept sending it back saying it's not quite right. Have another go. <laughs> and I just, a lot of Googling and learning and, um, and then we ended up just delivering this uh, course uh, across Turkey and Greece to uh, a, um, a holiday, uh, you know, tourist operator. And, um, and, and that, that was it. And then I spent 15 weeks at O2 coaching sales teams there uh, with Blue Sky and various other kind of contact centers and, and then moved into leadership development. And in 2008, I went freelance. 2009, I went freelance. Right in the middle of the recession. A terrible time to go freelance. <laughs> so if I, yeah. I had, uh, Lehman Brothers has gone bust. I had no proposition, no clients. Um, uh, but fortunately, I was doing a bit of work with traders, actually, in Canary Wharf, again, through another contact. So I was going in as this kind of trader psychologist um, and doing work around mindset and um, uh, for, for city traders. So that was good fun. And then I, I got approached by a recruitment company called S3, who were looking for a, a head of leadership development. Um, and they'd come across my my profile and asked me, invited me in. And then I ended up working at S3 for, for two and a half years. And I'd come from a, you know, blue sky where it was very experiential training, no chalk and talk. And and uh, so my team, my team of consultants kind of really embraced that. And they started designing really good training for the company and uh, kind of just turned they just turned the, the 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 whole view of L and D and what it can be around um, from a sort of chalk and talk type type training. So so I, I was there for two and a half years. So when I left um, S three in, in March two thousand and twelve, um, as I said earlier, I, I was kind of working with some of these big big FTSE one hundreds, but um, business by business, I was getting more in, interest from from recruitment companies, and I kind of just kind of went with it and. Um, if they needed some help, I'd help them out. And then about 2016, I thought, actually, maybe I should double down here on, on the recruitment side and rebranded Strategic Team Coach as a recruitment training company. And, and, and just literally overnight, we doubled, doubled our turnover just by, by being a niche. So literally, you, you are, you're training STC or uh, Strategic Team Coach about to be head coach. Does that, that focus is still on that niche, does it? Uh, it does, although the team head coach is starting to enable us to kind of um, branch out of that and uh, and, and scale outside of, of um, recruitment. So what, what that's done is it's 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 helped with growing the business financially, um, but we've also got some interest. And it was a bit confusing for some other clients who are looking at going, we like your management training, we like this, but when you go on your website, it's all about recruitment. So what, what we've realized now is that we can have a, a homepage, um, but then be very specific with landing pages so so we can create landing pages that specific to the recruitment sector um through click funnels and, and take them on a bit of a journey which then takes them to hey sign up for our open course or let's have a discovery call and talk about how we might help your managers internally or um so we're kind of in the phase now of having this generic home page but with click funnels that take us off in a take the customer on a different journey uh, and then that, that opens us up to other sectors potentially. Yeah, so that brings us nicely around to to, to the business itself, um, how you're getting your leads. Because at one point we talked, uh, and I think you were in Singapore or Hong Kong at the time, running a, a company uh, workshop. Are those direct clients of yours, or do you work still in an associate capacity with other training companies? Um, no, that was a direct client. Um, I've I've um, I think there are phases for anybody out there listening about you know how to get into winning clients and so on. I, I, I do think there are phases and we, we start off as freelancers where we are, um, you know, doing the, uh, the associate work for consultancy business who are going out and winning the work. And then, and then I think we start to think, actually, I could probably win some of this work and, and have the day rate to myself and all that kind of stuff. And you go through that transition and then it's just about sort of growing the business out. And I, I, uh, so for me, it was, um, that was the shift. I thought, right, you know, I'm, and, and I, and I still had a bit of a, I suppose, it, you know, initially it was 80% associate work, 20% my own work. And then it flipped quite quickly to 80, 20, 80, my own work and 20% associate work. And I, I never, the associate work became a bit of a, bit of a drain actually. And, and, uh, and, and, or I was delivering IP that wasn't my, you know, and, and I just thought, you know what, I've just got to make a decision here and just stop and push back. Um, this isn't for me anymore. And just take that risk and that leap of faith that, and we go out and win the business. And then that coincided with niching. So most of the work um, is referral work. So that client, for example, is a, uh, has three, maybe 400 staff now, actually. And we've been running a program in London. We had about 50 people go through the program in London. 
and then they they invited us out to to run the same program in Hong Kong and Singapore and now we're just about to um we're going to go back in January actually but we're also going to head out to Austin as well which will be should be fun. Yeah. So a couple of questions pop into my mind there, Andrew, as you said that. First of all, people listening might be thinking, you know, I'm bogged down in associate work right now. Um, you mentioned that flip. How did you actually get that flip to occur when you went from an 80% of um, associate work and 20% direct work, your own clients, to almost, not quite overnight, of course, but almost flipping around and all of a sudden now the, the, the majority of your work was from you know, your own direct clients, what was the ingredient to help people to, to flip and maybe replicate this if they were to do that themselves? Yeah, I, I, um, I would have to say uh, picking up the phone <laughs> you know, and, and, being, and getting to that business development mindset um, of, of that, getting over the fear, you know, and, uh, you know, and just um, and speaking to whoever, whoever you can who you think might be interested. So I I mean, I, I won a piece of work across the Middle East in Ericsson, for, for Ericsson, and it was a chap I met at, at a party. Um, and I remember just thinking, should I call him? And I called, I actually, I, I emailed him, I reached out to him. And, and it was one of those, those responses where you kind of get, uh, yeah, thanks for getting in touch. I do remember you from the party. Uh, we have nothing on right now, but, you know, we'll keep you on file type thing. Um, and that was the response I got. And then literally an hour later, um, he emailed me back saying, can I speak to you? I think I might have something for you. Um, and I, I get goosebumps thinking about it because I, I was literally, you know, 99% not going to get in touch with him. I thought it was, I was, you know, taking the mickey a little bit. Um, but it ended up resulting in a, a big sort of team coaching job um, around the Middle East. So uh, and he's become a good friend over the years. So I always, you know, say to people, you've got, you've got to get on the phone and speak to people. So getting those kinds of work, you know, you mentioned Ericsson, companies of that uh, level, what to you is the kind of ingredient that, that convinces someone, an organization of that size, that although you are ostensibly a one or two person company, that still you can take on that kind of uh, level of work, that strategically important work? I think, I think that it's looking at the pros and cons of who you are in that situation. So looking at it from Ericsson's perspective, you know, what are the pros and cons of dealing with Andrew Silito? Um, the pros are that, you know, we've got a, we've got the app, a guy coming out who we're speaking to. We, we can get to know him. It's personable. We've got, we're build, developing an intimate relationship so that we can shape it and, and so on, which you might not get with some of the bigger consultancies. Well, they might put someone on it and they might have a, a person who has the kind of the account management side and then they kind of pass it on to the, 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 the design team. And then, so I think the pros are that you, you're kind of owning the whole piece. Um, so you build that relationship, being very open to feedback, not being too, not, not having an agenda, not getting too caught up in your own IP and um, being flexible around that, um, you know, improving it as we go. Uh, and uh, so I think that's, that's the, is to try and put your feet, your, your, put, put yourself in their shoes and look at it from their perspective. So what, what would they, what would they want? And I'd been on the other side of it as well. So I'd been a, an L and D person. So I kind of just keep putting myself in those shoes thinking, what, what would I want from an external provider um, versus, you know, an independent external provider versus a, um, a large consultancy business? And then start trying to think, what, what, what's my competitive advantage here? Uh, and, and really playing to, to the strengths. And I think then it's kind of looking at, you know, trying to build some uh, trust and, you know, comfort. So you, you might, you're talking about things like, you know, we'll measure but why don't we put some measures in place to measure the progress of the program, you know, so have some KPIs that, that I can, you know, align myself with so that we're all working towards that, that common purpose. And I think that's a, a part of something I've been quite strong on. So, so meeting someone at a party, I think everyone would agree that's kind of serendipity at work. You, you might have met that person, you might not have met that person. Someone listening to this who might, you know, still be in the associate level or working as an as a trainer for some other training company, they might like the sound of this. How do they, you know, what buttons do they press? What tactics could they follow to increase their chances of winning that kind of business? So you also mentioned something called click funnels and, and lead pages. Um, wh what is the significance of, of that to your business and, and how successful is that in generating net new business or leads? Um, so I think as far as, uh, so there are a couple of questions there, I think that, but the, 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 the bit around um, click funnels, uh, or any kind of click funnels as a brand. I mean, any kind of lead pages. It really, what you're trying to do is is eliminate the amount of time we're spending on the road making, you know, having sales meetings. Um, so it's a, it's a way of 
of taking people on a on a sales journey, the, the customer on a, through a sales process, um, it, and and have it fully automated. And and I think that the bigger the ticket, um, the more likely you're trying to lead them to a phone call. I mean, that's the purpose of it. Can I get? Can I create some sort of, um, you know, lead them through to a they they want to pick up a call uh, with me and book a book an appointment in my in my calendar so they can go through Calendly dot com and and book you know access my diary book a uh, consultancy call with me or it might be a free strategy call so some of my one to one clients I you know they they download the ebook they get nurtured um, and they've got the opportunity to or they take the survey we've got I, I do surveys as well to get them to th- really think about their own business and where they're at what they want to achieve what are some of their challenges and then that link then they can go through another sort of series of emails or or click funnels to a um, a call with me or a strategy call. Right. So that's literally the funnel as you've described it. You, you have some kind of offer, some kind of lead magnet, uh, something like a checklist or in your case, an ebook. People want that. So by, by expressing an interest in that, they're almost signaling that they have a, an interest or a need in this area. Uh, in exchange for that, you get their email address. And then that, I presume, leads them through the funnel where they get some more value through you or from you via email. And you, you you prompt them then to to book into a consultancy call or some kind of you know uh, growth audit call or road mapping call, and then on that basis you're able to sell them something. Is is that right? I mean that's essentially it. You know, and so the, the one way to look at it is to say right in a meeting, what are the questions that people tend to ask me about my programs, and 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 through the ClickFunnels you want to answer those questions. You know, so uh, so, so a video for example, ClickFunnels enables you to have a live video. So they'll click, download the ebook, then they go to a video and it's, hey, you're probably here because you're finding this challenge and this challenge and you're trying to build a team and, you know, maybe you're struggling with this and, you know, and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want to find out more information about that um, and how the program works, you know, click here for more information. It goes through another page, say, right, you know, you this is the program, how it works. This is the, you know, the structure of it. Um, you know, if you want to find out more about some of the benefits and the case studies we're getting off the back of this program, then click here and they go to another one and go, all right, okay, so now we're getting credibility. You know, if you want to talk about this more or, or you know, it might be, you know, place, you know, put, book, a, book a, um, a seat on our open course or whatever it is, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of how it works. Um, and that's working well. But I think, you know, the party is, is a good analogy as well. I mean, that was a real situation. I was at a birthday party and um, clearly I'm not going to speak to a guy who said, oh, I work for, I'm head of L&D and, um, and then start trying to sell to him at the party. Um, and I think that's that's always a danger at a networking event um, or, or any sort of scenario. Um, so w- what we're always trying to do is start a conversation. And I think the party is a good, a good analogy for that because we're just having a conversation and we might share some interests and we might um, build some rapport because you know, you're in L&D. Oh, what is it about L&D? You know, how did you get into it? You know, what do, what do you love about it? And, you know, the kind of questions you're asking me and just have a conversation. And, and try and make be memorable in that respect, um, get them talking. And that's all we're trying to do. And I think some people go into the uh, into these conversations too too quickly to sell. Right. And, and as someone, someone a while ago said to me, um, you go to networking events to sell through them, not to them. Yeah, that's a that's a good good way of looking at it. And I, you know, my my early days of networking events, I'd kind of look at the person i think what are their needs and then i end up kind of trying to sell to their needs and i'm thinking why you know just just be honest of who who you are and what you do you don't have to be the right fit for everybody but they might know someone that you are the right fit for and and how do i help how do i help this person in front of me win work you know what can i what value can i always bring in value to the person that's in front of you you know whether it's someone that they might want to connect with someone a potential client that's what makes people memorable not not giving them your elevator pitch. So, you, you know, yeah. So you, so you mentioned, you know, the, the ch- ch- chance meetings, you, you're at networking events. Obviously you're careful about which events you go to. Some are just parties that, you know, ad hoc meetings, which could lead to something. Uh, you also then have um, your online, uh, you know, content, which attracts people into your sales funnel. Um, but overall, how, how would you say you generate the majority of your business? How do people find you, engage with you and then buy from you? Um, so, so with networking events, I, I always try and speak. At the event, um, so I try and get a slot, you know, and a free slot, uh, and that I would say majority of my work comes from uh, speaking. That's a good tip. Event, yeah. so good I, tip. yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I turned up to an event uh, to speak a few weeks back. It was um, I had a four o'clock slot on a Friday in front of fifty recruit recruitment business owners, 
who had been drinking since 12 o'clock that day. Um, <laughs> so you can imagine, I mean, you, you know, uh, anyone that knows the recruitment industry kind of gets a bit of an understanding of the, of the, of the culture, um, you know, feed them red wine for five hours and then, and then put someone to, in front of them to speak about purpose. And, uh, uh, but, it, it, but actually I, um, it, so apart from a bit of heckling, once I got into my first three minutes and I had to get that bit in and then, then they're kind of leaning in, um, cause I think actually this is, I'm going to pay some attention to this. This is interesting. Um, we, uh, we, I want to, want a piece of work off the back of it. Um, so actually initially it started with, can you come and speak to me about some one-to-one coaching through that conversation? We realized we just weren't the right fit for each other for the, uh, for the coaching. He said, but I do have a group of leaders that I need some support with. And, uh, um, would you, would you consider going out to New York? Uh, so I'm going out to New York in two weeks. Um, yeah. And I think that will grow into something quite, quite nice for us. Um, so I always say, you know, there's times when you think, should I speak at this event? But actually we've got value. You know, if you've got, you're clear about your purpose, you're clear about the value you're bringing to your pe- the people in front of you. Um, a lot of the people that had been speaking that day were doing their pitch and just pitching their product. I pit, I didn't pitch anything. You know, I just, I just told stories. Um, and case studies and told, you know, the whole standard hero's journey, trying to help people kind of connect with somebody. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's worked for me versus, you know, maybe five or six years ago going in thinking, right, I've got to take advantage of this. You know, these people in front of me, they're potential customers, got to let them know what I do. Um, it works far better for me just to go in there with no agenda and just talk. It's kind of a tricky thing, isn't it? When, when you haven't, um, you want to get more direct clients, but you haven't got the case studies or, te- or testimonials in your bag. So you want to attract people. So it's kind of a catch-22. How did you get past that uh, hurdle? Um, I think I am, part of my DNA is that I'm, I'm not very risk-adverse. So I think that that, that helps me. You know, I, I will throw myself into situations um, and learn, and, but I'm also open to feedback. So it's a, it's a matter of putting the ego to one side. Um, and and kind of accepting that that, that feedback as brutal as it, it can be sometimes, um, but but yeah, just you know, position yourself as an expert, being you know, knowing what the value you bring. Uh, and I, I don't like the saying really, but there is an element of faking it to make it. Um, in, initially, you know, we've got to be the act as if, be the person that we we, we want to be in. Um, you know, a few years, I remember saying to my, my wife, you know, look, you know, I'm hearing of these guys, they're charging X amount of money a day and that's insane. And she said, we'll just start charging it. So I did, you know, we started charging it and then a bit, a few pushbacks and then they started, um, accepting it and going, yeah, of course, you know, um, and then, you know, you think, then I heard someone else is charging this amount now. So I'm going to, should I charge that? And then you just, so you have to just, you know, go for it and, and know the value and pitch big um pitch twice as much as what you think i mean i, I remember once when i can we, can we talk crudely about day rates and stuff like that I, yeah absolutely if you're happy to do that my listeners would love that yeah sure yeah well i i, I spoke to a client um a big you know FTSE 100 and um you know i was do, I doing associate work initially so you know 400 a day 600 a day if you got lucky you know maybe 800 um i think, I think the most i've been paid for associate work was 1400 which was i think quite unique um, but yeah, typically associate work um, was, you know, even two two seventy five four hundred, um, and I, I pitched uh, to so it was about thirty days to a client, and I thought oh, I'll just go, I'll go with eighteen hundred. Let's see what happens. Um, That's per day, is it? Per day, yeah, yeah. So this is my first proposal that I'd written um, personally, and uh, and um, I didn't hear anything. I thought, oh, I've ruined it. <laughs> I just. Um, anyway, they came back to me a month later and said, yeah, no problem with that. But w- the only thing that we would like to talk about is that we want to get it in this financial year. So can we pay it all up front? And it was a year's, you know, year's program. <laughs> so it, it kind of, you know, just, just go for it. I guess my, my point here is that, and, um, and we've kind of increased it over time. Um, and that's uh, the, the quickest way to move your business forward is, is to charge, you know, what charge the, the right day rate. So that really won't happen until you give yourself permission to charge more. So no one's going to, going to tap you on the shoulder and say, uh, you're good to go. You can now charge. No one's going to do that for you. You really have to make that decision. It, exactly. And it is a bit of a minefield. You know, I can go into, I mean, still today, I can go in and, and speak for, for free. I could go and speak for, 
1500, I can speak for 500, you know, and, but then I can, you know, sell a, pro, you know, three speaking gigs at a four, you know, four hours in total. So, or, you know, three, sorry, three um, one hour gigs and charge 12,000 for those three one hour gigs. Now people would go, that's, that's crazy money, you know, for some people, but actually a lot of work goes into it, you know, a lot of time and experience and practice and, um, you know, so we spend it, I'll spend a day rehearsing and working with the client, make sure that the, the message is right and it's relevant that we're not just going in with some sort of cookie cutter approach. And so, you know, I think it's just about knowing your value and saying, well, actually, yeah, it does seem like, you know, I'm pitching this amount of money, but actually I'm putting a lot of work into this and a lot of experience has gone into it. And, um, so that's one side of it, but even somebody starting out, um, I would still, you're going to move your business along much faster by doing less days at a, a bigger day rate than you are trying to find volume work at a low day rate, which you probably end up resenting. What's the most you've ever charged, if you'd like to say, you don't have to, the most you've ever charged for a single day's uh, training or coaching? So always aiming for, for 2,700 for the, for the management training. Um, that, that is typically it. Um, my coaching is 3,000 a day for one-to-one coaching. Um, and, and then they, we have sort of weekly catch-ups. Um, and then I suppose the, the most I've, I've been paid is probably four, four and a half for a, a one-hour keynote and that kind of thing. Um, but typically one day training, um, the, the, the baseline is, is 2000 a day. And how do you define which kinds of organizations and people are not right for you? Cause you know, I've come across that too. I've taken work and I thought, mm, I wish I hadn't, uh, it doesn't feel right. You perhaps can't relate to the, their culture or the organization or their values or even the people. So Andrew, what, what kinds of organizations and people do you feel are not right for you? And, and how would you decide? I would say, um, organizations I, I don't think private sector works for me i've done quite a bit of work in the private sector sorry public sector um public sector doesn't really work for me and organizations that are similar have a similar culture to the public sector um so i've decided to just to stay clear if work comes in and we can agree some some real you know some really good, you have some really good contracting clear outcomes etc then um but I, i've learned my lesson the hard way with some of those um, so the, the, for me, businesses that I, I seem to work well with tend to be result driven, result focused um, sales sales companies or, or project teams, teams that have got a very specific outcome that they're working towards and they need to come together as a team. And, and, and I would do some work with that with that team. Um, but otherwise, I've, I, I find organizations where there's a, it's a bit unfair to say, but when there's a where there's a level of apathy um, within the organization, um, for whatever reason, uh, that I, I find those, those, they're just not connecting with the program. It's been forced on them. Uh, coaching where the coaching, the one-to-one coaching is, is part of the program. I stopped, I won't do that anymore. I won't engage with anything like that where we might have, you know, a group of leaders. So you, you separate the two. Yeah. I just think I've, I've worked particularly as an associate, I've worked on, on programs where, you know, I've, I've done some. I've done some group, and then part of that group coaching is a, is a follow up with every individual to provide executive coaching. Um, I think executive coaching is something you you ask for and you want, and you get it, and you understand it, and you have clear reason uh, to, for going into that those conversations rather than it just being forced on the person. And have there been business opportunities over the years which you've turned down, you've walked away from? And you've subsequently said to yourself, I made the right decision. Um, do you know, I can't think of any to, to, to mind. Um, I think there are ones, there's certainly ones where it, it, the conversation hasn't gone that well. And I've looked back and thought, what a relief. Um, I think I've, it's probably the other way around for me at the moment where I've gone into businesses thinking, yeah, I can work with you um, and, and really regretted it. Um, so so that I think I'm probably in that point now where I'm very clear about who I want to work with um, and whether there's a right fit for both of us, whether that's on an individual level or as a, as a business. Um, I, get a, I, get, I can get a feel now um, whether I even want to continue that, that next stage of the conversation. So if I have a strategy meeting or a discovery call, um, I, can, I, I don't, I don't, I never go into these calls thinking I've got to win this business, you know, um, uh, I just going to kind of really want to know if, the, if if we're the right fit for each other. Are there particular markers that you would look for apart from budget, the obvious stuff? You know, you mentioned public sector. Uh, obviously, price is a big is a big uh, consideration as well. But for people who've not yet done this and they are 
and I've been there too, I'm sure you have, thinking, I've got to get this, I've got to land this, I need the money. Uh, what kinds of things could people, you know, get a feel for, which would tell them, you know, this is not going to work, uh, you know, hold your pride, walk away from this, uh, turn it down? Do you know, my gut feel is just do the work. <laughs> <I'm> honest. <laughs> right. You know, in the early days, you know, it's, uh, it's, as long as it doesn't reflect on your career badly, um, there, there was one client actually that I, I was in a, I was actually working for where I did walk away. I, I left halfway through the program and it was a debt collection agency. So, um, so sorry, no, a loan company. This was back in 2000 and it was about 2009. Um, it's just a job that sort of came my way and, and I was going into it and, and I, and I found it was just very unethical. I didn't like what they were doing. Um, and I walked away from that. That was one I did walk away from. But um, so I think there are certain gigs that that we all have to do, and we have to get our nose ahead, and we have to make some money, and that that is the reality. But I think it's it's getting very clear on you know what your values are, what what you think are within your sort of ethical guidelines, um, and make some clear decisions around that. Um, but I, but at the same time, when we're starting out, you know, we have to do the work and. Um, and the, the more work we do, the more experience we get. And, and it's all part of the process for me. You know, I wouldn't, uh, you know, there the, are the companies that you know, the project I told you about earlier where they paid me up front and it was 20 days around 1800, um, really was a bit of a disaster, if I'm honest. It, it, it wasn't the right, it wasn't the right company, but it was such a good learning experience for me that I wouldn't change it. Um, so I say disaster, I mean, you know, 50% of the people really bought into the program, 50% didn't. And um, that was just, that was more of a cultural thing, I think. But um, there were just lessons learned, you know, in the way I engaged with the client, the way I um, did a bit of a, you know, how I did my consultancy piece at the beginning, the, 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 the training needs analysis, all of that stuff um, could have could have been better from my perspective. But I wouldn't have known unless I threw myself into it. Mm. Okay. Well, looking to the future now, um, you have written a book. I can see the strap line on your LinkedIn profile, the, the four keys, which is available on Amazon, how to win your business or in your business body relationships and, and mindset. What has writing a book done for your personal brand? Uh, it's been very good. I think it, in fact, this, this is my second book. So my first book was Managing the Mist, which was, I think, helped me get that piece of work because you, you know you put it across the table and go you know there's a gift for you or whatever and you know and uh, um it gives it, it's definitely there's definitely credibility in, in writing a book um the first book i wrote i, I really enjoyed it was a very cathartic experience it was just re sort of reminiscing really on my work with team gb and all that kind of stuff and, and the teams i'd work with case studies whereas the four keys is a very personal book you know it was it was based on some traumatic events that happened in my life how i dropped the ball um, we're running a business, going all in business and let my health slip and my relationship and my wife and putting more effort into the business and sport than I was perhaps my own family. It's all about that. And, and I talk about equal balance, but really what I'm talking about is just having equal attention. And so I think, you know, having, there's one thing having a book, but one thing I have learned, particularly as a coach, speaker, consultant, trainer, is having a methodology as well. You know, having something that people can kind of go, okay, I get what you're offering here. And actually I'm prepared to pay a little bit more for that. Whereas when I first started coaching back in 2009, when, you know, when I got my first, my qualification in coaching, it was coaching in its purest form. Um, you know, no agenda, going into businesses, really sort of asking the questions. But you know, I found that some people just had that kind of, kind of, kind of glazed look. They didn't really, I just want to know what, what's your proposition, what's your product? Um, so I think there's a balance between having a product, but not trying to shoehorn it into a business because you think it, it could work everywhere. It's here's my product, but let's have a conversation to see if it's right for you. Um, and I think that's the, so I think it's, it's important to have some kind of beginning and middle and end with a program, some kind of IP and, and then, you know, asking the question, is this IP right for this, this particular person, uh, this particular business? Did you get help with, with conceiving that? Cause I listened to the first part of the call, uh, today with, with, with great interest, the way you rattled off all the kinds of, um, shall we say, the productization of, of what STC or Strategic Team Coach and Andrew Silito does. Did you get inspiration from any sources or guidance in terms of how to actually productize? Because what you're saying is it makes perfect sense to me. If you go in as a coach or a trainer without any clear identity, it's very hard to stand out and people then don't know why they need you. So in terms of coming to the point which often reveals itself through experience. Did you have any guidance 
uh, and support in in helping to productize your yourself your offerings um i was trying to trying to think back to when when i first kind of had that light bulb moment where i was moving from a service provider to a product provider and i think it was when i niched so when i when we had strategic team coach and it was yeah, we offer team coaching and we offer leadership and let's have the conversation about what what's, what a leadership program would look like for you, which then meant spending all night writing proposals to which not everyone kind of committed to versus productizing, the, saying, actually, we've got this, this leadership program here. Let's niche in recruitment. And let's sell it as a product. Um, and as I said earlier, overnight, people started buying it, you know, and it was just, it just made me realize that when people know what it, you know, it's the Ron Seal effect. It does what it says on the tin. I mean, it, it, it is, this is what it is. And it's aimed at you. You know, it's aimed at the person that sat in front of you. Um, they get it. Uh, and so I, it's, it, it was a real risk, uh, but it, it, it paid off. And I'd heard it so many times, you know, in America, they say the riches are the niches, um, and all that good stuff. And that, yeah, so that, that was when I thought, ah, right now I get it. And now, when I'm writing proposals, it's literally, let's put the client's logo on it. Let's change this, change this. Probably about three or four changes, if that. Um, uh, versus kind of spending a whole day working on a proposal. Um, those days are gone, thankfully. Um, and and then it's just looking at how do you scale that? And that's kind of where, where I'm at at the moment is, you know, do I scale it online? Do I build a team of associates? Do, do I do an accreditation? You know, all those kind of things that... Um, that we probably think about as, as, as business owners. So that, that kind of takes me neatly to the, the, the last, you know, question I have, which was about, um, you know, where you see yourself going. So you mentioned the word scale a couple of times, um, and an academy as well, offline versus offline or online versus offline. Um, if, if we could go five years into, into the future, where do you think you'd like it to be? And what are you doing in that uh, five-year time, time frame? Yes, yeah, this is a really good question. Um, so I, we, we would definitely have for both, businesses we would have um online academies you know a membership site where people can tune in and have an archive of access to, to online training work on their on their terms um which then gives them an opportunity to attend events live events and maybe start to look at bigger events rather than um events where we're you know got 12 people in a room coaching um starting to look at bigger events kind of a very similar business model to to chris ducker really um, you know, you know, if you look at that, um, it's just that, but the, aligning that to, to, to my own audience. Um, so bigger events, uh, I think, you know, stronger, um, automation. So, you know, the, the journey that customers go on getting real value, getting given good content, learning to the point where you go, I want more of this. So <clears throat> I would rather, I want to work with Andrew one-to-one, or I want to, um, get one of his coaches or, uh, on board or, um, someone to come into our business. So I can see how this thing sort of grows, but I, th- I think the end goal, um, is for me per on a personal level, speaking, uh, speaking gigs, larger conference style learning events and, um, the Academy, the online Academy. Okay. And I look, I look forward to your next, uh, LinkedIn video. Um, I, I saw you, I think for an entire week on giving live video on LinkedIn recently. Um, has yeah, that I'm jumping gone on well? live today. Are you? Yeah, okay. I, well, yeah, I'm going to jump on live about four, four o'clock today. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a bit of, again, another leap of faith, you know, live, live TV and, and being on LinkedIn, Facebook with a group, you kind of go, you, you've got to, it's a bit more cozy, you know, you kind of know people that are in there. But with LinkedIn, you're kind of, you're throwing yourself out into the professional world a bit. Um, I think LinkedIn are trying to find their way with that as well, with the kind of whole, uh, like you have several sort of different third-party platforms you have to kind of all sync up to make make it work um so yeah quite excited to see how how linkedin will evolve over the next two years and and kind of what role i can play in that they tend to be behind the curve in terms of other you know they're kind of late to the game in terms of emulating what what other uh, uh platforms do but uh it's uncharted territory so in that context i think you're one of only two people i know right now who are doing this regularly so i'm just curious about the results you're getting and certainly it's 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 a gutsy thing to do <laughs> if if uh, anyone yeah, could be we'll watching. see how it plays out <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah All right. we'll see how that plays out. again I'm, I'm not overly risk adverse you just kind of have a go at these things and get some feedback and uh, and see where it goes. Well, good for you. Okay, Andrew, it's been wonderful talking today. Uh, today, Thanks for coming on the program. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
And that's it. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoy the episode today of the podcast. And next week, episode 42, next Thursday is, of course, a different episode. But if, Andrew, you're listening, I'd like to thank you again for your time and for being so candid in giving us the kinds of prices that you charge. And this is very helpful information, isn't it? Because if you and I know what is actually possible in terms of pricing and the kinds of clients that we could work with as training business owners, this is extremely valuable. So it's not very often I have guests on the show who are so upfront in terms of telling us what they charge, the kinds of companies they work with by name, and how they've found that business or generated that kind of business. So very valuable episode. Thanks so much for your time. You can listen to this week's episode and every episode every single week on either iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and in the future, other platforms which will be uploading content too. So with that in mind, I look forward to your company again next week. Until then, keep writing in. You have my email address, markghays at gmail.com. I would be very grateful if you would share this podcast with other people in your network through LinkedIn or through other means. And particularly if there are people who are in the training business, this is the show for them and for you. So any ideas you have about the kinds of content you'd like to hear on future episodes of the show, that is something which would mean a lot to me because it gives me the kind of direction. So I ensure that the content which we produce every single week and more about that in the future uh, is helpful to you. So keep writing. Please keep telling me what you'd like to hear more about, what you like and what we're doing well so we can keep on doing it for you. So until next week, have a great week and I hope it's a successful one. Take care. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.